This is Cornucopia. children of the corn. It's your girl Ashley Ellis here, host of today's show with a special new set of interviews for your curious ears. A while back, Jeremy and Matt and I put a call out to see if anyone wanted to collaborate on some podcast episodes, and a wonderful woman by the name of Andrea Bachman reached out from her home in Montana with the idea to interview young farmers around the country. And Andrea and I have actually both dabbled in farming as young people ourselves, but we both quit for various reasons. Um, For me, I quit because I'm lazy and farming is like, I don't, I don't know if you guys know this, but farming is like incredibly difficult. (laughs) Like it's super hard. It's literally manual labor all day long. It's nuts. Um, So anyway, Andrea and I were curious to hear from these young farmers who are out there sweating it, making it work. Um, We wanted to learn a little bit about what it takes to be a farmer in this day and age and what it feels like to feed your community. So in future episodes, you'll hear from Andrea interviewing farmers uh, in Montana and Michigan. And for today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Sam Thorpe of Spade and Plow, an organic farm in San Martin, California, just outside of San Jose. And I wanted to provide a little of my own context on this region of the country because it's so near and dear to my heart. Um, and the, the Bay Area is at the vanguard of the local food movement, but at the southern end of the Bay Area, where I've lived for the past few years, Silicon Valley's better known for computer chips than culinary pursuits, which is kind of confusing to me because we're only 50 miles north of the salad basket of America, which is the source of so much of the nation's produce. And up until like 50 years ago, this valley was the largest fruit production area in the world, Uh, It was called the Valley of Heart's Delight, and most of those orchards have since been ripped out and paved over to build housing subdivisions and tech campuses and, you know, shopping centers called the Prune Yard, but apparently proximity to fresh fruits and vegetables does not necessarily translate into a farm-to-table food scene, as anyone would tell you who has been to San Jose. But the folks of Spade and Plow Organic Farm would like to change that, one box of produce at a time. Their goal is simple, provide the highest quality organic produce to your doorstep in Santa Clara County. Their farm in the South Bay for the South Bay. So without further ado, here is the interview with Sam Thorpe of Spade and Plow. Okay, one more ado. Just a heads up that we recorded this interview on the farm and in the beginning of the interview it got super windy. So I apologize in advance for the less than optimal sound quality there, but if you bear with it, I promise it does not last for the whole interview. And on a side note, if you, my sweet listener, happens to know a thing or two about audio editing and you want to throw me some tips, go ahead and slide into my DMs. You already know. So Sam, tell me about your farm. Yeah, I'm one of the co-owners at Spade and Plow Organics. 
farm in San Martin, which is um, about an hour and a half south of San Francisco. Uh, we have a couple farms. We have got a 10-acre property and a 37-acre property. Uh, we grow certified organic vegetables year-round for a, a year-round CSA program, um, as well as restaurant sales, um, wholesale distribution, and uh, farmer's market sales. Awesome. And so how did you guys get into this, you and your brother and your dad? How did it all begin? Yeah, so um, my dad's been farming his whole life. You know, I come from a farming family. Uh, my brother and I are eighth-generation farmers. Um, yeah, so, so we go back. Uh, my dad really started farming organically, like on the cusp of the organic food movement um, back in like in the 80s and early 90s. Um, sold a lot under like how organic and grew large scale organically. Um, he then went on to work for a couple other organic growers, uh, managing really big farms, you know, anywhere from like 200 acres to sometimes 2,000 acre farms. Um, so he did that for um, about 20 years. Uh, but was really kind of uh, disappointed with the way that the organic food movement was moving and thought it was kind of getting away from its roots. How so? Um, I guess I guess he was just upset with more the, the corporate attitude towards mm -hmm. it and the scalability that was necessary in order to grow food. What kind of sacrifices did he see farms making in order to kind of meet that scale? Um, growing, growing produce for, for weight over taste, oh. you know, where you, you get money by the tonnage and, uh, you, you got to grow it, you got to grow big in order to make money. Um, and then sacrificing on uh, quality and when to harvest. Gotcha. So pushing off harvest or harvesting early in order mm -hmm. to, to meet the demands in the market. Yeah, and I then also, see. um, being real restricted and growing different varieties. So that's one of the things that we really appreciate about the, the CSA program mm -hmm. is being able to grow different varieties that aren't necessarily um, meant for like a grocery store mm -hmm. or um, a wholesale distributor and getting that direct feedback from the CSA customers or farmers market customers and saying, hey, I really like this or I didn't like this or this is really great instead of hearing when you're selling to a wholesaler, this is the wrong size or this is too ripe or this color doesn't look right. You know, when you start actually hearing about taste and how people are using it, it's really exciting. And do you plan um, much of what you grow based on what people ask you for, or is it more what you guys want to grow? Um, it's both. So I think, uh, you know, certain things that we definitely like to grow, but we really look for the feedback from all of our customers, from, from CSA to farmer's market to restaurant customers and to wholesale customers. Um, yeah. So you and your brother are young guys. So how did you guys kind of, um, commit to farming i mean yeah. <laughs> and, and and especially like you know having your father do this and you mm -hmm. kind of grew up with it and you were able to see i'm sure like the challenges of yeah. it yeah. um like what made you just one day wake up and be like this is it i'm gonna be a farmer yeah um that's a good question uh, <laughs> uh yeah so i always worked you know did summer jobs growing up you know in high school and before i worked a lot of different ag jobs which, between irrigation and tractor work and greenhouse work um and it was always kind of something, this is great now, but when I grow up, I'm never going to be in ag. And then kind of before you know it, you kind of find your way back to your roots, I think. Um, and just, and then I went to school at San Jose State, so kind of living in this area. And you kind of really saw the lack of, like, clean local food and, um, like, a farm that the South Bay could be proud of. You know, just creating that brand and creating, creating, uh, something that people kind of like look up to and, and say like yeah that's that's ours 
Totally. Well, so, and it's so interesting to me, like, having lived in San Jose, which is kind of part of the Bay Area, or the South Bay at least, but it seems like such a unique place to me. Mm -hmm. What is your perspective on, like, why San Jose seems to be kind of so behind the times when it comes to food, especially like in such stark contrast to the rest of the Bay Area. Like what, what's going on? Yeah, you know, I haven't, I've been asking myself that question for a really (laughs) long time and I don't think I've gotten like a really good answer. I think, you know, with, there's so much money here, but it's also cost so much money here to to live here too. Um, So I think there's, there's that attitude where people don't want to invest in food and invest in good food and um, always looking for the quick, and cheap way out when it, when it comes to feeding themselves and there's just the, the passion's not here people don't ask questions about their food or or get excited about that new restaurant that's coming up and and know who the chef is and, and know the scene and everything like that so I, I don't have a good answer but um, yeah I think it's I think it's, it has something to do with the cost of living here and uh, and maybe the size too where San Jose is so big or the South Bay in general is so there's so many people but it's also so sprawled out where it's hard to um have like a central like food community if there was one thing that you wish uh people would know about food or how food is produced what do you want people to know um uh, the skill and the hard work that goes into it i think uh that's a lot of times lacked and you talk about like the the unskilled quotation marks labor that that comes out to harvest and pack and distribute and sell and purchase the, the food that that goes on everyone's plates but but every every single aspect of it from from the harvesting to the packing to the you know all the post-harvest aspects of it to the, to the sales it's all very skilled labor and, and very hard work labor and i think people realize it's very hard work labor but that it's very skilled you know it takes it takes like that focus and the dedication to it on, on every single aspect and one thing that bugs me is that it seems like people, even the people who do acknowledge that it's hard work, aren't necessarily like willing to put their money where their mouth is and pay more for this food that they know is grown in a way that is maybe better for the environment or better for the laborers or whatever. I just, I see that frequently. Like people just, even the people who are into this, you know, the foodies or whoever yeah. are like so begrudging, like not willing to pay more yeah. for higher quality uh, food. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's easy to kind of say you support, support something, yeah, and and think you're supporting it, but only go into the farmers market once a month, you know, and think, oh yeah, I go to the farmers market, I, I support these guys, or or I, I go to this restaurant, they're a farm table restaurant, and you see that a lot, where it's really easy to promote that, but it's a whole another thing to to live by it and and do it consistently. Yeah. What does it take to be a farmer? Um, dedication. Uh, Creativity, um, hard work, I think that goes without saying. Um, and yeah, that's, I say that's it. And you gotta be, there, there's there's constantly a lot of challenges. There's challenges every single day. And that's what's so exciting about the industry where it's, no day is the same. Uh, it's always a challenge. You know, that you're always gonna get new things thrown at you that you gotta figure out a solution to. Uh, but that's why it's so exciting. And I think that's why so many people get uh, sucked into it. <laughs> and it is kind of like, um, like it's an addiction in a way where, you know, you're, you're constantly working and, 
you put a lot of work into a product for not necessarily like a lot of output. Uh, but when you grow a crop and you raise it for three months and you get it harvested and you get it packed and you see like a pallet of artichokes going out, um, yeah, there's nothing that can explain that, that satisfaction they get from that. And being able to know that that's, that's going to a good spot and we, we raise this, we grew this in the right way and we know we got a good product here and it's going to go feed people. Hopefully it's a healthy addiction. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like, yeah. Well, I hope that will inspire many kids to get into farming. <laughs> <laughs> you should do like commercials for <laughs> Yeah. Get You'll never farming. be bored if you get into farming. That's for sure. <laughs> so what made it financially possible for you guys, if you don't mind me asking, like was it, how, how did you guys make this work? Um, and I guess a kind of a, a related question is, how do you keep it sustainable financially? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we got some support from our family to get it to get it going, and then um, a lot of support from just South Bay community. We got right off the bat a lot of CSM customers that signed up, um, nice. so that's really inspiring. As far as how we work, make it work currently, um, I think it's I think it's the the blended outlets of you know the farmers markets and the CSA and the wholesale and the restaurant sales. Having that blended margin and those multiple outlets for the product is really key. Um, it's key from like a financial point, but also key from a marketing point, you know, where someone goes to the, the restaurant down the street and they say, oh, Spade and Plow sells vegetables here. I've heard of my friend is the CSA program, seeing the farmer's market or seeing at the grocery store. And that's just, that's just vital for um, encouraging the local food movement and uh, making sure that it succeeds. And then, and then also just yeah, going back to the original question, creating that brand and creating that farm that people want to look up to and are proud to, to call a part of their community. Nice. And, um, oh, it, it, just in case there's people who don't know what a CSA is, can you Oh, yeah. So CSA stands for uh, Community Supported Agriculture. So we do um, a CSA program where, where households will, will sign up to receive a weekly or in some cases a bi-weekly box of uh, fruits and vegetables. And we have a, I think of, what I'm really proud of is we created a really approachable CSA program where um, customers can pay as they go, which is not traditional. Most most time in a traditional CSA model, customers pay for a whole season or a whole year in front. And um, for a lot of people, or especially younger people in the Bay Area, that can be very challenging to do for something that they had never tried before. Mm-hmm. Um, we also do home deliveries, um, and then we have a customizable program too. So... Um, which isn't part of like a traditional CSA program, uh, but we think that's what it makes them more approachable. And for a place like the South Bay, we need to have a really approachable program in order for it to grow. I love it. You're making it work in the South Bay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you kind of touched on this uh, in terms of like scale when talking about your dad, but it seems like small scale farm production is a uh, like just incredibly hard to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so did like what were you guys thinking about when you thought about starting this farm? Did you think about scale and did you have an intention there? And if so, like I guess why? <laughs> how did you make yeah, like how did you make the scale thing work? Yeah, I think there's um there's definitely a sweet spot. And I think uh, you know, for us making that scale work is that kind of sixty to eighty acre range and we're not quite there yet. Um but we think that's that's the real sweet spot with the kind of program that we're doing, um, and it, and it's the scale aspect. I think a lot of times makes things easier, you know, because our biggest challenge has been trying to do the variety that we're trying to do. It's very challenging to get things 
in the ground on time and get them harvested on time and weeded on time, fertilized on time um, with 20 or 30 different crops. Mm-hmm. Um, but it makes it, you know, it takes almost just as long to plant 100 feet of beans as it does take as 400 feet of beans. So doing that scale almost makes it easier and makes it more financially um, viable. Mm-hmm. So, but, but also I think there's a point when you could be too big. Where you have to start making sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of sacrifices, um, have you had to make any sacrifices, I don't know, in your personal life or maybe professional life to make this work, to make this farming work? Um, yeah, weekends. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, I mean, we spend a lot of, we spend a lot of hours working here, um, I think that's the biggest sacrifice. Do you take vacations? Uh, every once in a while, yeah. I try, I try to go, you know, take a week off a couple times a year. Uh, but that sometimes it's more challenging, easier said than done. When you do that, does it mean, like, you have to have your brother do, like, all the work that you were doing plus all the work that he was doing? <laughs> yeah, a lot of times it does. And it's a lot of uh, me spending uh, two or three hours every day on the computer catching up on things, even yeah. when I'm on vacation, which can be challenging. That is a challenge. And is, I mean, is there a point where, like, do you guys want to scale up in terms of labor at all, or do you want to stay just the three of you? Yeah, we know we do, and we think that's um, really important. We have uh, four full-time employees right now, and then we'll have some seasonal help that'll help out with some jobs when we have, like, a lot of transplanting to do or a lot of weeding to do. Um, but being able to provide, like, good jobs for people, I think, is really important to us. If we can provide more good jobs to more people, that's even better. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Um, would you ever do volunteer labor or no? Yeah, we've, we've talked about it. Um, we just want to make sure we do it in the right way. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that we're ready to take on right now, but definitely something we will, we will take on. How can the community support you? You're out here supporting, mm-hmm. being, you're out here as a Santa Clara County farm. How can the community support you? Um, I think, yeah, being a CSA customer is, like, the number one way that people can support small farms in general or local farms in general. Um, and But then also going to the restaurants that we service, too, or visiting the farmer's market. Vis- visiting the farmer's market in general is, is so important. Um, and then uh, especially here we're at in Morgan Hill, San Martin, Gilroy, there's a lot of land that's under threat of development. Um, and there's um, a lot of energy on both sides. To, to keep this open space and keep it farmland, but there's also a lot of people that want to develop it into big condos or 10-acre plots for someone's uh, mansion. Um, so when it comes time to vote, you know, keep that in mind and vote for open spaces. And that's vital to what we're doing and to keeping food local. Awesome. Speaking of land, so what was it like for you guys to find the three different pl- or two or three different plots of land that you guys are on? How was that process? Yeah, that's probably been one of the most challenging aspects of, of the business so far. It took a lot longer than we expected. Um, and then, and now we're in three different properties, which isn't ideal. We'd really like to have one property where we can, you know, potentially purchase one day, do like a lease to own situation, build a pack and shed on, you know, have everything centralized in one, one location would be, would be ideal. And right now we're on, you know, three different properties where we share some of the properties and, um, that's been very challenging. So, so having, having a, a larger property, 
um, would be vital. But in this area, you see um, you see a lot of little 10-acre plots or 15-acre plots, which of course are priced higher and sometimes not approachable for farming because they're priced more towards someone that wants to go build a home and have their their horses down there or something like that, or have a little hobby vineyard. Um, so that's been very challenging, yeah. Do you consider yourself an activist for food or farming? Yeah, I say so. By being out here every day, and I mean, that's an important part. And I like to do more, um, like on the political side um, than I'm doing currently. But I think we're doing a big part as of right now too. I think a lot of people would say that you just being out here and farming is a political act yeah, <laughs> in and yeah. of itself. Yeah. Is this woman riding a horse over here? Oh no, that's not a horse. Looks <laughs> like she's trying to jump start it. Uh, a little scooter. <laughs> um, do you want to do a lightning round of questions? Sure. <laughs> okay, so it's mostly going to be like favorite or like, but basically the only rule is have to say it quickly. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, spirit animal. Uh, dog. Spirit vegetable. Um, cabbage. Spirit mineral. Oh. <laughs> I don't got one for that. <laughs> Favorite can of soup. Uh, tomato. Tomato bisque. Favorite flower. Dahlias. Celebrity idol. Oh. Yeah, I don't have one. Sorry. <laughs> Favorite band? Should we guess the Decemberists since you're wearing a Decemberist Yeah, I like shirt? Decemberists. Actually, I'd probably say Led Zeppelin is if I had to pick a favorite. Nice. Favorite restaurant in San Jose? Um, um, I like the Halford a lot. Uh, favorite word in the English language? Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. How about favorite curse word? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All That's right. That's always a good one. Awesome. That was a good lightning round. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. How about that sweet, sweet outro music, folks? Freesound.org, baby. Hey, so I'd like to thank the good people at Spade and Plow Farm. You can check them out at spadeandplow.com. And a huge thanks to Andrea Bachman for her partnership on this interview series. To Matt Levine for his ever-present enthusiasm and persistence. You're the real OG, Matt. Shout out to our partner Jeremy Spiro Wynn, who moved away geographically but will always remain in our hearts. Jeremy, if you're listening, come back. <laughs> Thanks to my dear friend and Renaissance woman, Keenan Spencer, for her website, Wizardry. You can check out her services at ksdigitaldesign.com. And thanks to my friend, Christina Warren, for imparting all of her wisdom before moving into the middle of the Pacific Ocean, where she started her own podcast called Christina's Voce. Check it out on SoundCloud. That's it, folks. That's a wrap for today. Visit us at cornucopia.show for all of your podcast needs. Until the next one.